Um, my name is John Carroll. In case we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'm also one of the pastors here on staff at Hope Covenant. And as Amber said, um, today's an exciting day because we are launching our second annual Butler Mission Week. And yeah, I know, whoop, whoop. Uh, last year, uh, we had over 140 volunteers uh, serving in a dozen ministries and organizations. We distributed hundreds of cookies. We packed thousands of meals. We collected countless prayer requests. And we hosted over 600 people in a block party that ended the week. And this year, we're expecting BMW to be even bigger, like Amber said, which is why we're talking about the kinds of things that love does. Last week, I shared with you the idea that love serves. If you weren't here last week or if you have a really bad memory, you can go back and listen to the sermon on a podcast. We have a podcast on our website or on iTunes. Um, Or you can go back and uh, check out the message on our Facebook page. But the main idea was that service to others is a way that love is made manifest for those who follow Christ. Serving was of profound importance to Jesus which is why he talked about it all the time. Not only that, he showed people how to love too. I spoke last week about a dinner party that took place in the home of a religious leader named Simon. He refused to serve Jesus and saw firsthand what real servanthood looked like. A woman with a sinful past, moved by her heart for Jesus, intended to serve him. But then Jesus flips things upside down and ends up serving her. Simon was left to think, I didn't see that coming. Aren't those the best kinds of stories? The ones that end in a way that you could have never predicted? When giving this some thought earlier this week, the first story that came to mind was The Sixth Sense. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, I feel bad for you because that means you've been living under a rock for the last 20 years. But the kid sees dead people um, and, and, it, and he reveals something at the end of the movie that had everyone leaning back in their seats saying, I didn't see that coming. And the same thing with the usual suspects. The biggest question throughout the whole movie is, who is Kaiser Soze? And when it's revealed to us at the very end, everyone says, I didn't see that coming. Well, no one could have predicted the endings of those movies. And something happened in the story of God in the human race that nobody could have predicted either. It's so vitally important. I wanted to talk about it together and think about it together for a few minutes at the front end of this message. Now, the Apostle John tells a story, and it begins like this. In the beginning was the Word. He starts it with the same phrase that the Old Testament starts with, the greatest story of all, in the beginning. John says, in the beginning was the word. The logos was the Greek word for it. We get our word logic from that. Reason, understanding, insight, the ability to study. Biology comes from that. All of John's readers would have loved this beginning. In the beginning was the word, the logos. Ancient Greeks loved reason, logos, so much that some of them believed that it was actually an eternal, spiritual, divine kind of being or presence of powers that you ought to worship. It was forever separated from this fallen world that we all live in, with bodies that are corruptible, with stuff that rots. But the reason the Logos was so beautiful, they worshipped it. 
Israel loved wisdom so much that the Old Testament writers would speak of wisdom as a person. You see this, for instance, in the book of Proverbs. They would talk about wisdom being with God from eternity. And then John writes this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Every Jewish reader would love that. Wisdom, the Word, wasn't just available to God. It was God's identity. It was His character. It was His essence. God can't do anything that's not wise. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They'd all love that. Then, John writes, the Word became flesh. Didn't see that coming. Nobody saw that coming. Christian author Anne Lamott, who came to faith in Jesus kicking and screaming, writes about a little girl who was afraid to go to sleep. She would ask her mom to come be with her in her bedroom because she hated the dark and she didn't want to be alone. Finally, her mom said to her, you're not alone. God is with you. The little girl said, I know, but I need somebody with skin on. Jesus is God with skin on. The word became flesh. And I want to say a bit about why this claim is so central to the Christian faith. I know it can sound like an odd idea. Like, really? The word became flesh? God became human? Really? It's important because it means God wanted to be with us so badly that he became like us. That's part of what love does. It enters into the experience, the existence, the burdens of another person. Through Jesus, we can know what God is like. Also, somehow, through Jesus, God knows what we're like. The Word became flesh. This has amazed people for 2,000 years. Somehow, in Jesus, God knows what it's like to be tired and hungry and thirsty. Somehow, in Jesus, somehow, God coughed. God got sick. God hit his thumb with a hammer. God skinned his knee. God went through adolescence. God's voice changed. God bled. God cried. Somehow, in Jesus, one day, God died. Didn't see that coming. The Word became flesh. Whatever you think of this, and you'll have to reflect on it, whatever you think of this, John, to, for John, this is not poetry. This is not metaphor. This is not just some lovely idea. It happened. And this matters, not because it's some abstract doctrine that you have to affirm before you can become a Christian or before God lets you into heaven. It matters because it means God is not just an idea. You can actually trace this out in churches or traditions or denominations where this belief is lost. God turns into this kind of pale, lifeless, abstract idea, and faith never keeps its vitality. It matters because God is real, and God is alive, and God is active, and God has inhabited our planets. And if you'll let him, God will inhabit your life. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then one day, the word became flesh, and the heaven and the earth came together the way that God had always intended, and that was Jesus. The word became flesh. Jesus is God with skin on. 
And in that day, you could touch him, and he could touch you. When I look at the ministry of Jesus, I'm blown away at how essential touch became to Jesus' life and the way that he interacted with people. Jesus touched countless people. He touched people physically. He touched them emotionally. He touched them spiritually. And I want to look at just a few of these episodes because there's a really good chance we'll have the opportunity to touch the lives of many people during BMW. Over and over when Jesus heals people, he does it by physically touching them. And we'll look at one instance in the Gospel of Luke that will show the significance of why the Gospels keep talking about Jesus touching people when he healed them. One day, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is a very dramatic moment. Anybody who had leprosy in that day was regarded not just as sick, but unclean. The law was real clear about this. If a person touches uncleanness, that person is defiled. If I'm unclean and you touch me, then you become unclean. You become like a leper. And this is why lepers were required to keep a distance of at least six feet away from everybody. Imagine this is your life. They had to tear their clothes. They had to cover their mouths. They had to shout, unclean, unclean, so nobody would touch them, even by accident. Leprosy was so often thought of to be an, um, kind of an outer manifestation of an inner uncleanness. In the Old Testament, Moses' sister Miriam's affliction with leprosy was associated with the divine judgment of God. It carried this moral stigma. Rabbis would sometimes throw stones at lepers if lepers looked like they were getting too close. Yet, a leper comes to this rabbi, Jesus. Everybody watches to see what Jesus is going to do. And filled with compassion, he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. A leper comes to Jesus. Nobody touched this guy. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus is filled with compassion. Jesus gets an idea. Without a word, he reaches out his hand and touches the guy. Now everybody gasps. You see, Jesus deliberately breaks the law in order to heal, in order to save another human being. Now it's Jesus and this leper who are unclean while everybody else is clean. The disciples look at each other and think, I didn't see that coming. And then Jesus speaks the word, I am willing, be clean. Now, why does Jesus touch the man first while the man is still unclean? Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have spoken the word first, could have kept the law. What is Jesus doing? Well, because the word became flesh, to God, nobody's untouchable anymore. To God, there is not a human being on the planet from which he must keep his distance. You see, this is a huge shift in the idea of what it means to be spiritual. In general, in the ancient world, physical imperfection was associated with spiritual imperfection. The temple was to be a very holy place, so you couldn't bring an imperfect animal in to sacrifice it. Pharisees regarded their homes as miniature temples, 
So people with physical flaws and imperfections were not allowed to go into their homes. They wouldn't touch them. But Jesus keeps touching. This is why the Gospels record this all the time. Peter's mother-in-law gets a fever. Jesus touches her. A 12-year-old girl is deathly ill. Jesus touches her. Two blind men in Capernaum. Jesus touches them. There was a deaf mute in Decapolis. Nobody would go near this guy. Jesus touches him. There is a blind man in Bethesda. Jesus touches him. There is a blind man in Jerusalem. Jesus touches his eyes. Over and over again, he could have healed with the word. He chooses to heal with a touch. Because religious leaders thought that they were showing their devotion to God by who they wouldn't touch. Wouldn't touch you, wouldn't touch you, wouldn't touch you. Jesus showed his devotion by who he would touch. I'll just touch anybody. Quite literally, physical touch has healing power. And this week, if you see somebody hurting, take a moment to reach out. And that's what your hand is for. It's amazing. With someone in the community, with children, with the elderly, with a fellow volunteer, somebody's had a hard day, just the power of touch, just the power of a hand on the body of another human being, especially if you're praying for them, brings healing to souls. That's the touch of healing. And you can do that. And then there's emotional touch. The Gospel of Matthew, um, we are told in the Gospel of Matthew about a dramatic event where the disciples are shaken. It says this, When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And I love that Matthew includes this tiny little detail that before anything, Jesus touches them. And they're on the ground in fear, and he comes along. Anybody remember the game Duck, Duck, Goose? Anybody play that when you're a little kid? <clears throat> it's just Jesus going around, touching them on the head, saying, it's okay, don't be afraid, I'm here. Touch has the power to soothe people from the grip of intense fear. When our kids were real little, they would sometimes wake up in the middle of the night scared and alone. Amber and I would come into the room and they'd ask to be held. Hold me, they'd say. We'd be grumpy and delirious because we weren't getting any sleep. But how can you be mad at a little kid lifting up those hands saying, hold me? Instinctively, if somebody is, suffers grief or loss or sorrow, we hug them. Why? Well, touch can communicate what words can never say. When there's a question you cannot answer or a problem you cannot solve, a touch just says, I'm here for you. God made our bodies for this. And we never stop saying, and I don't care how smart or strong or rich you are, people never stop saying, hold me. By the way, in the Bible, the church very often is called the body of Christ. That ministry of sanctified touch, you don't have to be afraid, belongs to us now. I mention this because sometimes it doesn't get practiced. Shake hands. Put an arm around somebody's shoulder. Give somebody a hug especially for people who come to church who are afraid. Somebody's alone. Somebody's going through grief. 
Church should never be a place where people go and don't have somebody to just reach out to them. And then finally, spiritual touch. And I love this one. People brought little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He took the children into his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. And this is a picture of extraordinary beauty, quite unusual in the ancient world. The ancient world was not at all sentimental, as we tend to be about children. They were regarded as the lowest on the status pole. And that's why Jesus would sometimes use them as a picture of life in the kingdom, as of greatness in the kingdom. Children were made to be touched, made to be loved. Often in the ancient world, as with lepers in the imperfect, that didn't happen. Children who experienced loving touch became closer relationally than those who were starved for touch. And that's still true today. It's so interesting. In this passage, something about Jesus. Again, this would be unusual in the ancient world, a very different, non-sentimental culture. You know, something about Jesus says to parents, my child could be blessed by his touch. Parents were bringing little children to have Jesus touch them. The disciples know Jesus has more important things to do, but actually Jesus doesn't. Because to touch and to love is to bless. He's always looking for those who were least likely to be blessed. A few weeks ago, Amber and Eric and I went on a two-day pastor's retreat. And while we were together, we sat in a circle, not just to face each other, but because we wanted to be closer to each other. What we discovered was the physical closeness of bodies helped encourage a sense of spiritual closeness. It was a powerful retreat, wouldn't you say? Sometimes just being close to folks physically enhances closeness spiritually. In the Bible, very often when people would pray for other people, they would lay hands on them because they recognize touch is never just physical. It always involves a spiritual connection because we are spiritual beings. That is who we are. Spirit and body are connected because the word became flesh. You see, touch can bring physical and emotional and spiritual healing to people because there's a presence that comes with it. And as the Father sends the Son out of a deep love to be present with humanity, it's the Son who promises the Spirit's presence to be with us. Later in John's Gospel in chapter 13, Judas has a confrontation with Jesus and it sort of rocked the group. You know, after all, everyone knew that it wasn't good to tangle with Jesus. It usually didn't turn out well for the other guy. So there's a tension in the air, and Jesus encourages his disciples. And this is what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And we're going to come back to that phrase in just a moment. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. For Jesus, belief and faith and trust is a real big deal. Over and over in the Gospels, we see how the faith of people gets them healed and saved. We also see how a lack of faith gets them in trouble. And a few verses down, Jesus comes back to the implication of belief. He says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. 
and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And here's where Jesus offers the promise of the Spirit's presence to the disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The word advocate in verse 16 is known in the Greek as paraclete. It's kind of a funny word, paraclete. A paraclete functions in many ways, as an intercessor, as a helper, as a comforter, as a counselor. Jesus wants his followers to know the Spirit will be with them and in them, and will connect them to God, offering comfort and guidance. And then Jesus continues, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And then finally, in the very next verse, one last word of encouragement from Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And there's that reminder. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because there will be a day when they won't see Jesus in the flesh. As I thought about how the Spirit reminds people of the things Jesus said and about how it applies to the kinds of things that love does, I remembered an experience I had while on mission in Jamaica, serving a small, impoverished community outside of Montego Bay. We were building a house for a man who lived next to the church where we were staying. And I've got a picture of it up here on the screen. To us, it was a shack. But to him, it was his new home. Which is, why it left, which is why it was such a big deal to finish this project before we left. On our last day in the community, we ran short on supplies. To purchase the materials meant that I had to use our only remaining cash, which was reserved to cover our final group meal. And so I had a choice. Finish the house or feed everyone. And to be honest, I was afraid to make the wrong decision. I was full of doubt. And then the Spirit reminded me of the kinds of things that Jesus said. Things like this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So I bought the materials, and we finished the house. And there's the picture of that. And that evening, I, had a, I got a call from the lady who was hosting us before flying home the very next day. She said she had very bad news. Her swimming pool was broken and unusable, so as a way to make it up to us, she offered to cover the cost of our final meal. Bad news? Are you kidding me? I didn't see that coming. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me to not let my heart be troubled to remember that my Father will always find a way to provide. It's what I call kingdom economics, kingdom provision. No money, no food, no problem. God's got this. And one final word about love. 
Out of a deep love, God sends us to be on mission to the world. This mission is not primarily an activity of the church. It's an attribute of God. And I'm going to say that again. Okay? The, this mission is not primarily an activity of the church. It's an attribute of God. God is a loving missionary. Love sends, you see? Therefore, mission is a movement from God to the world. And the church is an instrument of that mission. The reality is God's mission doesn't exist because of the church. It's actually just the opposite. The church exists because of God's mission. And to participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love towards people. Since God is the source of sending love. Right before his ascension to heaven, Jesus gives the disciples this final word. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, including Butler County, Kansas. Okay, I added that last part, but I'm pretty sure Jesus would have been cool with it. All right. The Father sent the Son, and then the Father and Son sent the Spirit. And now we are to be a sent people in El Dorado and beyond, God's witnesses. Butler Mission Week is here, and we have this incredible opportunity to bear witness to the gospel message of love to everyone we encounter, to touch lives the way that Jesus did. We are now the flesh the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's not too late to get involved. There's still time to register, even if it's just for one shift on one day. A long time ago, a movement began where the word became flesh. Jesus is God with skin on. Why would God do that? Well, it turns out human existence, your life, if you want it, it's kind of a love story. There's this hero, this prince, the best human being who's ever lived. His name is Jesus, and he lives in this serene perfection and joy. And then there's this human race, you and me, all ragged and sinful and hurting. And the prince says he wants to marry her. He actually becomes a peasant, actually becomes like us, actually sacrifices his life so one day... The prince and the bride, Jesus and his church, God and you, God and me, could be one. And his kingdom will be on earth as in heaven. Didn't see that coming. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that into this world, into our lives, into our hopes and dreams, our fears and darkness, the word became flesh. Love was on mission and dwelt among us. God, thank you for the hope that the word made flesh goes before us and may that love triumph in our lives. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community as we live out the beloved part of our vision. 
May the touch of Jesus come through us to everyone we meet during Butler Mission Week. And may we participate with you in life-transforming encounters that leave people saying, I didn't see that coming. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.